take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher, Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. God's Word has lots of advice for married couples. But what does it mean when it tells husbands to love their wives just as Christ loved the church? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at how Christ's love should be modeled between husband and wife to keep the relationship free from loneliness. To introduce the conclusion of his message, The Lonely Spouse, here's David. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, And... If you do not have that problem in your marriage, if you don't have loneliness in your marriage, that's, that's wonderful. Listen to all of this and practice it, and you won't have it, and you'll never have to deal with that. We have some uh, wonderful, wonderful resources to help you during this discussion of loneliness. And I want to encourage you once again to practice uh, these truths in a small group. More than ever before, I am committed to the importance of small groups. Going through COVID-19, I think, taught us a lot of lessons, that it's a lot easier to keep a small group together than it is to keep a large group together. And large groups are made up of small groups. And because of the Zoom small group meetings that we held during those days, uh, we stayed together. And I think it's going to be more and more important as we go forward to, uh, to be aggressive in building the small groups. Here's a curriculum for you to use when you're talking with one another. It'll take you to the scripture. It will encourage you with some answers. It will remind you that you are never alone. And uh, there's a book that we want you to have too. It's yours for the asking when you send a gift during the month of August. The book is called God Has Not Forgotten You. It's a 190 page hardback gift book beautifully four-color adorned. It's filled with 10 chapters providing comfort and encouragement when you might feel alone. It's a great reminder of God's faithfulness during challenging times. So it's yours for a gift of any amount to Turning Point. When you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. Well, let's finish out this week as we now go to part two of The Lonely Spouse, Ephesians 5.25. One of the things I've learned in talking with many people who are hurting in this area is that they somehow got off love for love's sake and they got on love for performance sake. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to read a very excellent book on marriage written by Tim Timmons called One Plus One, but it's one of the finest books that you'll read. I used to give it to all of the couples who got married in our church. It's the kind of a book that helps you to understand what love really is and what it isn't. For it teaches you that love is not based upon what your partner does for you, nor on his or her performance. 
but that it is the kind of thing where you love because of the person that God has given you. I read a letter that was written to me after I preached a message on marriage written from a woman from the Chicago area, and she wrote these words. She says, I never feel like I measure up. It's never good enough, no matter what I do. Never seems to measure up. So my relationship with my husband seems to be a day-to-day, up-and-down situation. If I'm good, he loves me. If I'm not, he doesn't. I want to ask you to do something for me right now, men. I want you to think carefully. If Christ would have loved you as a part of the church, knowing what you are and what you're going to become, if his love was conditioned upon that, where would you be? He loved you in spite of it. That's one of the most overwhelming thoughts to me about the love of the Lord for me. He did not love me and then find out later what I was. He loved me through the omniscient love of a holy, sovereign God, knowing at the moment that he set his love upon me, all that I would ever do to violate that love, and he kept right on loving me, even to the death of the cross. And it's that kind of love that is enjoined upon us as husbands as we relate to our wives. Our love is to be realistic. It is to be based upon fact and not fancy. It is a love which includes faults and failures and all of the unlovely and disagreeable elements that are a part of each one of us. And we love in spite of that, and we love through that, and we love because of that. And it's that kind of love Christ had for the church, and it's that kind of love he expects you to have for your wife. One of the problems a lot of young people face as they get married is that they have set up very unrealistic expectations of what marriage is all about. And then when they get into the situation, they discover that it isn't what they thought it was. I don't know where they get those unrealistic expectations. I think it comes from watching too many television movies or going to too many plays, reading too many romantic novels, and they feel like it is a happening. Have you ever noticed how we describe that whole process? We fall in love. I always get a mental picture when I hear that phrase of walking down the street and falling into this huge gaping hole that just envelops me. I fell in love. Some enchanted evening across a crowded room, and then you wake up the first morning and you see across the breakfast table curlers and no makeup, and reality is striking hard. I think one of the callings we have as a church, if I could just digress for a moment, is to do away with the surrealism that has developed in our culture about marriage and the family and hold up God's standard, which really has very little to do with the external and has everything to do with the beauty of the person of the inward man. And ask God to help us to hold that standard up so that our young people growing up will get a realistic appraisal of what marriage is and then they won't get bombed out when they get into a marriage situation and discover that what they thought it was, what they heard it was, what they saw it was, it wasn't. Christ's love for the church was realistic and our love for our mate is to be realistic. Notice secondly, his love was sacrificial. Notice what it says in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The Bible says that Jesus Christ counted the cost and gave up himself for us. His love was not sentiment. His love was sacrifice. His love was what cost him his life. And so many today are trying to find a relationship that doesn't cost anything. They have their hands out all the time wanting to receive but never willing to give. 
One lady said not too long ago, I find it easy to give everything in my marriage except one thing, and that is in. I can't give in. Yet you see, love and a relationship between a man and his wife is a constant giving in one to the other. I know you men love it when we preach from this passage about the submission of the wife to her husband, but I want to get all of you women off the hook, at least to some degree in this respect, that that passage teaches as clearly as it can mutual submission one to another. And there is a sense in which the chain of command within the home is reflected in the command to the wife to submit to her husband, but it is also true and it is very prevalent in this passage that we are to be constantly submitting one to another. And the marriages that I know that work are marriages where mutual submission is a constant ongoing thing. It is a blending of ourselves together, a giving of ourselves, a determination that we will sacrifice whatever we have to for the sake of our loved one and of our relationship. It's interesting to me that the word sacrifice is made up of two words, the word sacra, which means holy, and the word physio, which means to make, to make holy. And so it means that we are to make holy at great cost the person that we love. This means, men, that if we are going to love our wives as we ought to love them, if that love is going to be the means God uses to dispel the loneliness of their heart, it will be a love that will cost us interest and time and pleasures and ambitions and friends. And it will come to us at this level that nothing has a priority over my wife, no matter how important that may seem to be. We will love sacrificially. One lady wrote, she said, when I ask my husband to spend time with the kids or with me, it's always tentative. If I become pushy about it, then he says, I'm nagging. Honestly, I never wanted anything from him but himself and some part of him, and you can only ask for so long, there's a limit to how long you can be ignored and put off. You threaten to leave without meaning it until you keep the threat. You consider all the unpleasant consequences until they don't seem unpleasant anymore. You decide that nothing could be more unpleasant than being alone and feeling worthless. You finally make your mind that you're going to be a person with real worth as an individual. You assert your ego. You join womanhood again. That's what I did, she wrote. I wanted to be more than a housekeeper, a diaper changer, and a sex partner. I wanted to be free from the deep bitterness and guilt that slowly ate at my spiritual and psychological sanity. Deep inside, there was something making me not only dislike my husband, but everything he did and everything he touched. His I love you became meaningless to me because he didn't act like it. His gifts were evidence to me of his guilt because he didn't spend more time with me. His advances toward me sexually were met with frigidity that frustrated both of us and deepened the gap between us. All I wanted, she wrote, was to feel as though he really wanted to be with me. But no matter how hard he tried, I always had the feeling that I was keeping him from something. Just once, she wrote, I wish he could have canceled something for us instead of canceling us. All of a sudden, I woke up one day and realized that I had become a terribly bitter person. I had not only resented my husband and his work, but I was beginning to despise myself. So in desperation, I left. I don't think he really believed I'd leave him. I don't think he ever really believed I'd do it, but I did. 
You say, Pastor, that's scary. And yes, it is. For you see, the unfortunate thing about such a relationship where a man is totally inattentive to his wife is the fact that sometimes he doesn't even know it. At the bottom of all of this is the fact that somebody somewhere in the relationship has refused to pay the price to keep the relationship alive. I want to remind you that if we as husbands are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, that is a sacrificial love for Christ gave himself up for the church. And that's what God is calling upon all of us to do if we're to emulate him in our homes. And I want you to notice thirdly that Christ loved the church purposefully. Notice what it says in verse 27. He loved the church in order that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. The purpose behind the love of Christ for his church was the fulfillment and development of that church so that it could be all that he envisioned it to be. And the purpose and the goal and the motivation behind the love of a man for his wife is in order that his wife might become all that she should be as a person. It is quite opposed to the attitude of some men that I know who try to hold down any involvement or development or growth on the part of their wife. They are threatened by any of her gifts or any of her abilities. And so they do everything they can to stifle her. They shut her down as a person until she begins to doubt her own worth. The Bible teaches that a man who loves his wife will find his goal for that love in the full development and maturity of that woman until she becomes all that she should be and all that she can be. And we are the facilitator men to make that happen in the plan of God. And women, may I say this to you just in passing, that no matter what the libbers say, a woman never really finds fulfillment in any other setting in terms of relationships, quite like she finds it when she has a good man who believes in her and wants her to be all she should be and develops and encourages her and is a facilitator for her to become a mature person. That's really where it's at. Someone has translated a song we often sing and made it say what we're saying goes like this. Take my wife and let her be consecrated, Lord, to thee. That's not a bad motive, is it? Lord, just help me to be in the life of the woman that I love, someone who develops her spiritually until she is all that she should be before thee. Our love as men should be a love with a purpose. Christ loved the church fourthly, willingly. Why did God love us? Because we were lovable? <laughs> Absolutely not. He loved us because, according to the scripture, in his divine prerogative, he willed to love us. One day in eternity past, God said, I will love, and he did. The common accepted idea about love today is that if you don't feel like it, you can't do it. But that's totally apart from the truth. The truth is this, that feeling follows action. Feeling follows the will. If I want to, I will. And when I do, the feelings follow. Let me give you an illustration. When you see me out running, I want to tell you what you're seeing. Just to be very honest, no matter what all the runners say, not one time have I ever run because I deeply wanted to. <laughs> but you know what happens? When by an act of the will, because I've taken the action, the feelings begin to come. It feels good. 
And you know when it really feels good? It really feels good when you get home and you take the shower and you're relaxed and you know you've done the right thing and there's a euphoria about that that I can't express. It probably has to do with the fact that it's over. <laughs> and gentlemen, I want to tell you something, that the Bible tells us that Christ loved the church because he wanted to, because he willed to. And the Bible teaches us that if we're to love as Christ loved the church, we're to love our wives because we want to, because we willingly choose to do it, and we're to take the action that goes along with that. I was reading the letters to the churches in Revelation. Something just sort of jumped out at me, probably because I was thinking about this. Do you know what it says to the church in Ephesus? When it says they had left their first love, you remember that? Do you know what the prescription is for a church that has left its first love? Listen to this. Go back and do the first works. Let that grab a hold of you. Do you know how to recover a lost love? Go back and do the first works. Go back to the beginning of the relationship and ask yourself, what was I doing then that I'm not doing now? And do it. Take her some flowers. You better be sure there's oxygen on hand, but do it. I guarantee you that she'll like it. She'll feel better because you did it, but if you aren't all the way gone, if it's not too late for you, if there's hope at all, you'll discover something that you feel better for doing it too. And the love that should be in your heart toward that woman will begin to develop according to the activity of love that you're involved in. Christ loved the church willfully, and we're responsible as men to take the initiative. We're the leaders in love in our families. Last but not least, Christ loved the church absolutely. In verse 28, we are told to love our wives as we love our own bodies. Now, for many years as I've studied this passage of Scripture and I've spoken on the subject to couples and to young people, I've always thought that this verse meant that we're to love our wives just like we love our own bodies. But that's not the meaning of the verse. It's not what it really says. He's not telling us that I'm to love my wife in the same way that I love my body. He is telling me that I am to love my wife because she is my body. I am to love my wife because she is part of me. This text teaches that when you get married, you become one flesh. And the Bible tells me as a husband that I am to love my wife and to minister to her needs and be concerned about her because she is part of me. And just as I will not neglect any part of me humanly that hurts, I cannot neglect any part of my wife that hurts because she is now part of me. And I am responsible, and together we share a unity and a oneness. It's amazing to me how many women there are who hurt and hurt deeply whose husbands don't even know it. And sometimes they have been seated in my room counseling with me about their problems, and in a moment of great courage, usually because of the supportive presence of her pastor, the wife will blurt out something she's wanted to say for a long time, and the husband will respond, why, honey, I didn't know you felt that way. I pray every day that God will help me as a man to be sensitive to the hurts of my wife and to be able to see when she's hurting over some problem, when there's something wrong that I need to be sensitive to, to sense it on her face and to sense it in her spirit so that I know her hurt. 
so that I can reach out to minister to her and touch her life as I ought to. God wants us as men to take the initiative in expelling the loneliness our wives feel. And when we have to count the cost to do it, we will do it. I'm grateful for some examples that God has brought into my life to demonstrate that that's possible. There are two men who are friends, and I don't know how they came to the same commitment, but they did. These two men who are friends are Jim Dobson and Bill Gaither. When Jim Dobson finally came to grips with the things that were going on in his own life that were pulling him away from his home, he made some hard, gut-level decisions. He cut out his speaking. He cut out his touring. He decided to invest himself in things he could do at home so he could take care of his family. I remember when he told us in a group that he was going to do that, and I also remember one day when I was with Bill Gaither in his office and he was trying to get Jim Dobson to speak at one of his praise gatherings, and he called him on the phone while I was there and hung up the phone with a smile on his face, and he said, Jim said he was no longer in the touring speaking business. He had retired. And then I remember that Bill and Gloria and their family facing the struggle of the schedule they were involved in with their touring and their singing and their writing and the Alexandria House Music Publishing Company and all of the rest of that, and their deep commitment to their family, started to make some gut-level decisions about their schedule. That there were two months in the year when they would never accept any engagements. When they were on the West Coast just after we arrived here, those of you who went up remember that they were operating on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday schedule. And there's an interesting story behind that. For historically, they have always done their concerts on Friday night and Saturday night because those are the finest nights to draw a crowd in any Civic Center auditorium. But they went to Thursday night concerts, and I asked him why, and he said, my daughter is getting old enough now that she wants me to be at her football games once in a while on Friday night, so I can't afford to be gone every Friday night. I said, Bill, aren't you losing money on Thursday nights? He said, oh, yes, but it's still worth it. He totally reorganized his whole concert schedule out of his commitment to the priority of his own home and his own family and his own wife. And I couldn't help but think as I looked at his unbelievable pressure and schedule and compared the meager things God has asked me to do, hey, if he can do it, I can. If he can grab hold of the priorities of his life and make them work in the pressurized schedule that is his, why can't I? And if he can and if I can, why can't you? Oh, I'm not all the way down the road yet. I'm still struggling. And sometimes it gets out of hand and I have to say, hey, how did this happen to me? And I grab it and throw it back where it belongs. But I pray to God that I will never lose sight of the priority. Some of Bill's friends probably think he made a very bad business decision when he canceled Fridays and Saturdays in lieu of a Thursday. But I hope Somewhere in eternity, they have a chance to ask him that question again. And he will tell them it's the best decision he ever made. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you've been listening to Turning Point. We're finishing up the week of discussing loneliness. We've talked about the lonely soldier, 
Timothy uh, got this letter from Paul that described his loneliness, the lonely sufferer, Psalm 116, David describing his suffering and his loneliness. And here in Ephesians 5, we've been learning about the lonely spouse. Next week, we'll talk about the lonely single, the lonely saint, and the lonely senior. We have a lot of material yet to cover as we deal with the subject of loneliness, which is very, very prevalent as a problem in our culture today. Here's a book to help you. It's the book, God Has Not Forgotten You. He is with you even on certain times. And this book is available to you from Turning Point for a gift of any size during the month of August. If you will, send a gift to Turning Point of any size and ask for the book. We'll send it to you. Uh, This is for a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And when you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. You're going to love this book, and you're going to have to hang on to it when people come to your house because they'll want to take it home with them. It's beautiful. It is one of the most beautiful books we have ever created. And it's for you, and it's for when you have a down moment. Here's what God has to say to you from his word. Don't forget also we have study guides and we have CD packages for the series on loneliness. Get all the resources together. Conduct your own small group. And then whatever you do, don't forget, in October, we're going to be in Tampa, Florida on October the 5th at the Yingling Center, October the 7th in Jacksonville, Florida at the Star Veterans Memorial Arena, October the 26th in Houston, Texas at the Berry Center, and October 28th in Fort Worth, Texas at Dickey's Arena. These are free events, but they are ticketed events, and you must have a ticket. So go to davidjeremiah.org slash tour, order your tickets, and plan to be with us for these fall rallies. Well, uh, we're going to take a break for the weekend. Be sure to get to church. Watch Turning Point on television. We'll see you on Monday. Have a great day. God bless you. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. Will you send us your personal story of Turning Point's impact? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, God Has Not Forgotten You, and learn to trust the Lord in times of uncertainty. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series Overcoming Loneliness here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. I heard about a man who made a trip to Washington, D.C. so he could visit the Internal Revenue Department. He said he just wanted to meet the people he was working so hard for every day. We're not the only people who complain about taxes. Folks did it in Jesus' day as well. 
And Jesus surprised his listeners by telling them to give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to give to God the things that are God's. No one knows exactly how high our taxes should be, but we know this, when we give God our whole heart, nothing else will matter. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how to give to God on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.